Hello and welcome to Let's Pod This. My name is Andy Moore, and I'm one of your regular hosts. This week, though, we're publishing the audio from the panel discussion at our most recent West Wing watch party, which occurred on May 15th, 2019, at the Tower Theater in Oklahoma City. That night, we watched episode one, well, excuse me, season one, episode 19, entitled Let Bartlett Be Bartlett, which highlights the dynamic between the chief executive, who's President Bartlett, of course, and his chief of staff, Leo McGarry. And they're going through some hard times together and and with the whole team. Following that episode, we were joined by a panel of local experts who could speak from their personal experience about what it's like to be the go-to person for a high-ranking political leader. As you'll hear in this episode, the panel consists of Steve Hill, who's chief of staff to Oklahoma City Mayor David Holt and and was chief of staff to Mayor Cornette when he was in office. Also, Phil Bacharach, who is the chief of staff to State Superintendent Joy Hoffmeister and has worked for one or more previous governors of our state. And also Donnell Harder, who is currently the spokesperson for Governor Stitt and was one of his uh, local campaign managers during his uh, Stitt for Governor campaign. Now you should know up front that the first three and a half minutes have some pretty weird audio because we were using microphones and there was this weird echo. I tried to edit it out, but you just can't. So just hang tight for the first like three and a half minutes and then you'll be rewarded with what I think is a very interesting and insightful conversation from some of Oklahoma's political insiders. By the way, if you're interested, our next West Wing watch party will be on Monday, August 19th, and we're going to watch an episode about the Supreme Court. Uh, It's called The Supremes, and our guests will be the Oklahoma Solicitor General, Mithin Maganzani, who his job is to represent the state before the state Supreme Court, Uh, and also one of his colleagues who was instrumental in kind of shepherding uh, Justice Gorsuch through the Senate confirmation process at the federal level. Um, So something beyond our state borders, but certainly very important. Um, As we publish this, we are awaiting uh, a ruling on the Carpenter v. Murphy case, which has huge implications for our state here in Oklahoma. You've probably heard Scott and I talk about it in previous episodes. So we feel like this will be very timely and very interesting. So again, that's April, no, excuse me, August 19th. You can find details about that on our website, letsfixthisok.org. Go to the calendar or the events page. Uh, And then our Facebook page, facebook.com slash letsfixthisok slash events. If you want to go straight there, that's handy. Uh, it'll be hosted at the Tower Theater as well. It's free, totally free. Bring your friends, grab some popcorn, soda, beer, whatever, and uh, enjoy the episode and enjoy the panel discussion. Okay, and with that, on with the show. Next is our panel discussion. We're going to talk about that relationship between uh, elected leader and their chief of staff. Uh, so I'd like to invite our panelists to come down. Um, we've got Donnell Carter. Um, from the governor's office, Steve Hill from the mayor's office, and Phil Bacharach from the Department of Education. You guys can give them a hand real quick. 
Man, so this, I said earlier, this is one of my favorite episodes. Every time at the end, I got chills, and I'm ready to say it in cheesy ice cream at the pleasure of the president, which I think is a terrible scene, but I get what they're saying. Uh, and uh, that the scene between Leo and President Bartlett gets me because they really say what they mean, and I feel like that is increasingly rare in this world. Um, and so, um, let's start there. Uh, these questions are really for all three of you, but Steve, I'm going to start with you on this one. Um, having worked for a couple of mayors, surely at some point you've had conversations with, uh, with a mayor where you maybe didn't see eye to eye, you had to challenge each other. Um, what is that, what's it like to be chief of staff for a large tier two city? Um, how do you how do you handle the lead in the middle between between the leader that gets all the press and then like all the staff that help actually run the city uh, and you are in between that? Tell us a little bit about your experience there. That's a, that's a lot of questions all wrapped into one. Um, uh, question. Uh, the, the one thing that would be better about my job, is this echo weird? It is weird, yes. Okay, sorry. There's no way around it. No way around it, just keep going. going. Um, it, would it would be, be so, so much, much better, better if we had the background music. <laughs> <laughs> the drum and everything, and it's dramatic. Um, yeah, uh, you know, what, what you, you want to do in this position is align yourself with someone who you're mostly in line with, I think. If you, you want to be successful and be happy doing your job. So, for the most part, with both the uh, Mayor Cornette, and maybe even more so with Mayor Holt. Um, he and I see eye to eye on almost every issue. There were times with Mick where I felt like I had to nudge him a bit. And, um, you know, you just have to do it. You, you've built up respect. And so you just have to do it in a respectful way that, um, you know, that isn't offensive. And, and you have to know when to stop. Because I, I remember one time, and, and, and I'm not going to talk about what the specific issue was, but I kept saying what I thought should happen, what I thought should happen, what I thought should happen. And Mick, who was very fairly reserved as a person, finally at one point looked at me and he goes, yeah, I understand how you feel about this. And I knew that was Mick saying, we're done. Right, so. If I just put the mic down, can you guys hear us okay? Is that better? Yeah. Is that better? All right, great. Turn the mics off. <laughs> that was very strange. Uh, so we don't have to hear ourselves. So. Uh, thank you, Steve. Donnell uh, or Phil, do you want to chime in and have any examples along those lines? Uh, well, I, I would just say, I mean, I, I think at the end of the day, it's always the person you're working for who does make the final decision. I mean, I've had, uh, I've worked for two previous governors of different parties. Uh, worked for uh, two different superintendents of public instruction who uh, had a, a rather spirited uh, contest. Uh, I think ultimately, I mean, you can disagree. You put forth your uh, view on things, but you know, ultimately it is their decision. Um, and so uh, to Steve's point, I think it is important to know when to back off. Um, as far as, one of the things I think was interesting in, in the, the show is talking about just the dynamics of, of leadership and the dynamics of the people in the leadership team. 
one thing has always struck me is the biggest issues seem to be, and I, uh, I, I suspect it was probably like this in, in Hobbs' office. <laughs> okay, one, uh, I would just say that one of the biggest uh, issues as far as um, problems in leadership is always about access. It's always about, or not always about, but ultimately about who has access to that chief executive. Uh, and so I think part of what uh, chief of staff has to do is to ensure that everybody uh, in leadership is able to get access, is able to make sure that he or she is being heard. So, sure. Don, now I'm gonna go to you with the next question. Sure. Um, so there's the scene where Josh is meeting with the guys, the legislative leaders or their guys, um, and one of the guys says, Josh, we can't keep having this meeting every time the president wakes up and decides to make the world better. Uh, which is always hits me like a bit of a gut punch um, because it's like a demoralizing thing and I want to believe that that I'm the kind of guy that wakes up every morning and wants to make the world better and I think most of us want to believe that our elected leaders are those kinds of people too um, and it strikes me that I, I don't know Governor Stitt beside the media but I feel like he and, and uh, Mayor Holt and, and probably Superintendent Hoffmeister are the people that like wake up and they're texting you at six in the morning like I got an idea for today um, and then you have to figure out how to handle that how to make that work so um, so Donnell is to the extent you can speak to it is that the kind of uh, is that who Governor Stitt is and, and how do you handle that sure uh, Governor Stitt's very high energy to the point where um, I don't know if many people notice but we I'm one of the only uh, individuals that came off the campaign, and there's a reason for that, because we worked our tails off. I mean, we started with no name ID. Um, a lot of people talk about the money that the governor put in himself to the race, uh, but the reality is, is no one got out into the public more than Governor Stitt did, and he worked around the clock, and it burned out everyone <laughs> on the campaign, and I thought, it's gonna be fine. We're in office, things will slow down, and it, it hasn't. I think one of my biggest fears actually with Governor Stitt is what uh, we'll do with him after this session ends, uh, because we're in the height of negotiations and everything going on in the legislature, and he's bored. So, uh, huge problem. We're working around the clock, and, and he wants to work harder. So, And I think going back to the first question, too, if I can speak towards these uh, chief of staffs, I've, I've never been in the chief of staff role, I've been in an advisory role. Um, but I think one thing I've really noticed about qualified chief of staffs is uh, something that Phil kind of mentioned in, in regards to access, is that chief of staffs have a very critical role on how to say no when it's important to say no, but also be the networker within the office, how to keep people together. Even when you have differing opinions, whether it's at the staff level or at the public level, that they know how to continue to listen, how to hold people together, how to keep voices coming into the office, and, and to ensure that the members isn't isolated. I think uh, we've seen an exceptional job, and uh, both in the mayor's office when we had McCornette there, and the Department of Education, they ensured that their member was never isolated, that a lot of voices were still coming in, when even when they had to make the hard decisions, and that comes down to the chief of staff. If you ever see a, a public figure that becomes very isolated in their opinions, 
Um, normally that's, that's coming into how the staff dynamics are playing out. Uh, but when you feel heard even in disagreements, that's because of the tone the chief of staff is largely setting. And I think we've had really exceptional chief of staffs uh, that are standing here who've done a good job of making sure that even in disagreements, even when the hard decisions are made, that they're keeping uh, people together and keeping voices coming into the offices and the disagreements. Um, and then just to cap off the high energy, Stitt's very high energy. Um, I think we're better off for that. I, I'm clearly biased. Um, but you just wake up and you, you keep going. I mean, he calls at 6.30 in the morning needing something or 10 o'clock in the night and, and, and having a grand idea and you log it um, and, you, and we keep long lists of all these things that he's thinking about and the ideas that he, he wants done and, and we, we work around the clock. I think one thing people don't know about the governor uh, is we have 14 staff members in the governor's office right now. Uh, when Mary Fallon came into office, she had 34. Um, so we're operating at more than half the staff size. Um, but uh, at, I, uh, I am also biased in saying this, but it may be double the energy level. Um, and, and, and it's good that that is being carried by the governor versus the staff, the energy level. I feel tired just hearing all that. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it, and it strikes me that, um, and this is kind of going to part B of my question, that um, having come off of a, a governor's term at the end of, of two terms, right? So the end of eight years when you, she was arguably like the most exhausted, right? I know I would be. And so then to get someone brand new who is a high energy person anyway, it's a big personality shift. Um, and I think the state feels that like Governor Fallon wasn't doing American Ninja Warrior. I mean, that, for lots of reasons, but like that was or running the marathon of those kinds of things, which is just a different pace. And I think even um, for the public, it's it's interesting just to be like, well, how do we handle this now? And so wanting to hear what it's like on the inside of like, how are you handling that? Uh, so the, the flip side is certainly at some point, um, they referenced this early in the episode that, that Bartlett woke up feeling very energized and positive, and they said, how long do you think that will last? Invariably, it doesn't, right? Something happens in the day um, that changes the direction of the day dramatically uh, and the tone uh, of that person. Uh, Phil and Steve, um, could either of you speak to an experience about that? Um. Well, uh, today uh, <laughs> was one. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think to some extent, um, and maybe the experience is different depending on the office, but uh, very much uh, each day is about crisis management, uh, really. Um, where um, today, for instance, there was a budget agreement reached. Uh, a, a lot of moving parts in that, and it was uh, very much uh, lots of uh, an emotional roller coaster, uh, uh, to say the least. Uh, but so much of it is about being able to shift and uh, not just realize that no day is going to end up uh, like you anticipated. Uh, to uh, uh, Andy's question with regard to uh, managing, uh, wanting to change the world and uh, early in the morning, I will say uh, Superintendent Hoffmeister uh, is a, a, a dedicated uh, a texter, 
uh, and uh, apparently does not ever sleep. Uh, and, and so it, it is, uh, it's a challenge, uh, but actually it's pretty exciting and it's pretty uh, uh, really energizing. Uh, I, I had worked for Brad Henry, I was press secretary for him, and he was a very well-known uh, insomniac, and so uh, he wanted to change the world invariably at two or three in the morning and would have to share that with us. So that, that was tougher. Yeah, in my case, uh, so I've, I've worked for a previous for uh, Governor Walters when he was the governor. I'll say that working at the, at the governor's office in the, in the Capitol is much different than working at City Hall. The fact that we're nonpartisan helps. Uh, we have to get things done every day. So, so, so every day is actually kind of nice. I mean, I, <laughs> when uh, when Mick was uh, mayor, governor, sorry. <laughs> didn't quite work out that way, did it? Uh, when Mick was mayor, there's always the future. Yeah, you never Mick, know. When he was the mayor, I mean, he's such an optimistic person that every day, and this is the truth, I'd walk into his office and he would say, "Hi, Steve." And I was just thinking, well, hi, I'm supposed to be here, you know. <laughs> but, um, and then, David, if you follow uh, Mayor Holtz on Twitter, you know that he is, he is everywhere all the time. It's, the most difficult thing about working for him and, and the only crisis I have is he's six foot six, and when he gets going on a, on a walk, <laughs> I'm running behind him. <laughs> I'm actually sweating, and, and that's a crisis for me. But everything else is good. That's funny. I, I will. I can attest personally that the only text I've received from uh, Sprint and Hoffmeister have been after ten o'clock, and when my wife and I got engaged a few years ago, uh, uh, then Senator Holt texted me congrats, like as I was getting in bed, and I was like, uh, Senator Holt says congrats. <laughs> like a day late. Yeah, and, um, very, and but very you know, late. also looking at his feed, I'm like, oh well, he went to seven events in the last two hours. So, uh, so on a on a lighter note. Uh, at the beginning, Mrs. Landingham is very concerned about President Bartlett's diet, specifically. That he, the, her line, I wish I'd written it down about his relationship with like vegetables is critical to the United States or something. Um, all of uh, all of the writing in the West Wing just is excellent, right? Hats off to Aaron Sorkin. We'd love to have him on the show. <laughs> uh, so. Um, by any chance, have any of you ever had to have a conversation with an elected leader about their diet? Well, I have. <laughs> after the mayor, lost a lot yeah, of weight. After right. the mayor put everyone in right. the city on a diet, yeah. we had many diet discussions. The one thing that came of that is like I could not go to any kind of uh, sit-down dinner or lunch with the mayor and dare to touch my dessert. <laughs> someone, someone would say, "Well, the mayor's not going to like you doing that." So, um, David Holt eats like a 12 year old <laughs> he will he will put together combinations of food that you have not ever seen put together before and then he eats them and eats them and eats them and i assume that's how he's able to do what he does all day long uh, we occasionally have to remind superintendent to eat period uh, <laughs> there anytime we have a luncheon speaking engagement invariably she doesn't touch it uh, so, I mean, honestly, that's the biggest issue is trying to get her to eat on occasion. I think every politician I've worked for has been on a diet. I don't know what it is about working in the office that seems to trigger it, but uh, one unique thing is it's never about weight uh, for every person I've worked for. 
it's often about maintaining their energy. Uh, I spent almost 10 years in D.C., and when you're up in D.C., you're working around the clock, and so often it's a lot of energy-related. Um, one person I consulted with, who I don't put in my LinkedIn bio, uh, while I was consulting with them, they decided to do Whole30. Um, and to my surprise, thinking it's a high-protein diet, it'd be fine. When they went on Whole30, their media interviews tanked. It was like their brain wasn't operating. They could not think on the spot. It was a very bizarre experience. All I wanted to do was hand this guy a beer and a cookie. Right. I was like, please, this is not going well. You are looking trimmer, but this is not going well. Um, so then when I worked for Governor Stitt on the campaign, uh, at one point he decided to do Whole30 as well, and I got so nervous uh, because here's my past experience where the, the public figure uh, started to go backwards when they're, you know, they didn't get their sugar in their diet. Um, and we were out doing our western part of the tour, so we're in three-hour drives between cities and not eating anything of much substance. Uh, and he, he did Whole30. Um, and also when you're in rural Oklahoma, you realize you really can't get anything but fried food. <laughs> so it was very hard to find food. Um, uh, but he handled it very well. I was so grateful. I, I started having PTSD in the moment, and, and he pulled it off uh, masterfully. So we took a lot of pictures for the campaign during that time uh, and continued to recycle those. Yeah. I'm, I'm not a politician, but my life hack is that I keep peanut butter and jelly and bread in my office at all times. And so twice today, I had some of my staff come over and say, hey, do you have five minutes? And I was like, yes but I'm making a sandwich. Do you want to come on in and watch me eat like a four-year-old? So, so far, it's working. Uh, not dead yet. All right, so um, uh, this episode shows the Bartley team trying to address really big issues, right? Things that, oddly enough, we're still struggling with in America to some degree. Uh, things like uh, campaign finance reform, gays in the military, issues that they say are very important, but... Part of the thesis of the episode is that what they say and what they do are two different things, right? They're like, we care about this. Uh, and in fact, when Sam is in the room there and the guy says, well, Sam, if this was really serious about changing policy, the president wouldn't have sent you down here to meet with these low-level DOD staffers. Um, and he says, is this meeting anything more than a waste of time? Uh, that is another gut punch, because I'm sure all of us have been in a meeting at some point that was just a waste of time, um, and I'm sure that's the case for you all. Uh, in your opinion, this can be your personal opinion, certainly, working in government, um, do you think to a degree that is just the way things are? Um, like, is that good or bad? Is there, is there another way? Does it have to be that way? We'll start with, we'll start with Phil this time. Um. I, my own view on it, honestly, is I don't know that, I mean, there have been plenty of meetings that I hated being in, but I'm not sure that any are a waste of time. I mean, the part of politics and part of governance, I think, is about making yourself available to, to all your constituencies and to hear from different points of view. And there are plenty of times that we've had discussions that we knew were not going to go anywhere. Uh, when I work for Governor Keating, we kind of specialized in that, uh, but uh, and that's a joke. Um, but a, a case in point, uh, recently there was a, a charter school in Tulsa that had 
a lot of problems and for a number of reasons we had to close uh, the school. The State Board of Education voted to close the school and even afterward members of the school, students and parents were coming to the board and they were signing up for public speaking beforehand but you only get three minutes and they wanted to talk to uh, Superintendent Hoffmeister at the end of the meeting. This is about two months after the school has already been marked for closure. There is nothing that is going to emerge from that meeting. But we felt, Superintendent felt, that it was like you have to talk to them. I mean, they are going through a grieving process and it was important to hear from them. It was important to let them talk about what their school means to them. It, we knew the meeting, I mean, the what was going to happen was was already done, but you, you have to let, let people talk and you have to show people the, the courtesy of, and respect of hearing from them. So I, I just, I don't know that there, I mean, crappy meetings, definitely, but worthless meetings, I don't think so. Steve? Um, I'd, I'd agree with Bill. Uh, we don't have any meetings that are a waste of time. We have like we have a meeting coming up that's with some citizens that have an issue on the northeast side of town and their issue is really not resolvable. Um, and we know that going in and today, in fact, I had to tell Mayor Holt, I said, you know, there is no real solution to this. And he said, I know, but we need what Phil said, you know, we need to let them come in and, and we need to hear them. And so, you know, we'll have a meeting in a couple of weeks with a group of people that you know, our hope is that they walk away knowing that we understand what their problem is and that they understand what our issues are, you know, and our inability to address it in a way that would satisfy their, you know, desires. So, so yeah, those meetings are important. They're not, sometimes they're not fun to sit through because you know what the end is, but you know, it's important, it is important. It's very important to hear, hear what people have to say and uh, let them have the chance to say it. Yeah, I think what they said is right on. It, in summary, it's to listen. So I'll give you the non-PC answer, which is politics and policy making is remarkably inefficient. So if you are someone driven by trying to be efficient and, and trying to feel like your time is maximized, uh, this is not the world for you. Um, and, and, and in the age of modernization, clearly we have more data to drive our decision making, which is a good thing. Um, at the same time, uh, data can often miss the human ele element. Uh, and I think it's equally important that we don't miss the human side of things, that, uh, that we continue to listen. I think particularly in regards to this episode, more importantly, for people who are voters and who are constituents, it's important to know that those lower level DOD staffers actually could carry more weight than you realize. Um, I think there's many times in our, in our offices where we've experienced that the staff assistant answering the phone, um, that the elected officials listening to what that staff assistant's saying. And you might think that the most important person for you to influence is the politician, when in reality, it might be the policy staffer that is making maybe thirty-five thousand uh, dollars. I think it's never a good idea, even within our side of things or uh, the constituent side of things, to underestimate how uh, staffers who appear to be on the lower end of things are really shaping policy making. So, I mean, what I hear you all saying is that relationships 
matter, right? Whether it's between elected officials, between policymakers or staffers of any level, or between the public and whomever at the government that they might be connected with. And I, so I will share a, a personal story. This is a big thing for me. Relationships are a big thing. My background's in mental health. Like I'm a licensed therapist, so I did marital counseling for a long time. And uh, getting uh, dabbling in politics, it's just marital counseling with more people. Um, <laughs> and maybe less desire to reconcile. Um, um, and so, um, uh, Donna, what you said about the lower level people, um, you know, at the state capitol, every legislator has an executive assistant or a legislative assistant there, and they are the gatekeepers, right? Just like Mrs. Landingham is certainly the one that runs the, the stuff up there with the president. And uh, several years ago, when, uh, when Let's Fix This first started, I lived in um, Senate District 40, which at the time was uh, Urban Yen's district. He was the senator there. Um, and so I didn't know him from anybody. I just met him. And we had met a couple of times. And I introduced myself, like, I'm Andy Moore. You know, I live in your district. And he's like, OK, great. Um, but at some point, he at least recognized me that was like someone he's met before. He didn't know my name. And I was asking him to be on a, on a panel, actually, for social work day at the Capitol. So I ran into him at some luncheon. And he said, uh, that sounds great. Uh, call my assistant and tell her uh, she's the one that keeps my calendar. I said, okay, no problem. So I called his assistant that afternoon and I said, hey, I ran into Senator Yin today. He asked me to call you uh, about this panel that he said he would agree to be on. It's on this date. And she said, okay, I'll pencil that in and uh, or I'll talk to him and, and let you know. And it occurred to me like she doesn't know who I am. Like, I know that I met the senator that day, and I know he said yes, but she doesn't know that. Um, and I was like, okay, well, before he and I parted ways, he said, by the way, she used to be a social worker. So I threw that in. I said, he said you used to be a social worker. And you could hear her voice soften and say, oh, she's like, I did. I said, what kind of social work did you do? My wife's a social worker. And so we talked for just two minutes. It was very nice. And I said, that's great. You know, and, uh, she said, okay, well, I'll go ahead and pencil you in for that panel. And I said, aha. Uh, all it takes is like listening a little bit and knowing and not being, I mean, I could have been like, no, he told me that put it and but that doesn't get you anywhere, right? We follow that. When you call Cox about your cable, <laughs> you yell that person on the phone, you know they don't have the power to fix it for you. You're just taking it out on them. That could be your son or daughter. It's not fair. Um, <laughs> go up the ladder, yell at them. I don't know. Um, <laughs> or be nice to everybody and you'll probably get farther in the end, right? Um, so I think for this episode, kind of the primary theme for most of it is they're losing, right? That they're lost. Donna says, why is everyone walking around like they have already, they already know they've lost. There's lots of kind of comments about that. Um, yeah, Toby yells, uh, that he is not bothered by the ones they lose. It's about the ones they don't suit up for. I saw you nodding at that. I love um, that one. Um, so... Here in Oklahoma, whether it's budget negotiations or street lights that are out, um, and a lack of bike lanes, how do you like? There are tough days, right? Um, how do you how do you keep going when you face those those tough days? Jen, Jen I guess. Jen, is that what you said? Yeah. The, the card game. Right? Yeah, it's, it's very relaxing. Um, Gosh, I, I mean, I, I, for me personally, I think it's just because it's, it's really important work. 
you know? I mean, it is, um, there, are, there are moments when all the, <laughs> everything else that is miserable and frustrating makes it worth it. Uh, for me, it's, it's advantageous because a lot of it happens when we're visiting schools and seeing what's happening in schools. Uh, but, I mean, I, there's no better job in the world than public service. I mean, I'm convinced of that. Um, and really, I think, for me, that's just it. I loved the line. I wrote it down when he delivered it. Um, I've actually watched this episode a few times, and I don't know if you've ever listened to the West Wing podcast. Let's do it again today to right? freshen up. Yeah. The podcast on this episode is really good because they do a reflection of where our nation has come, really, in the past decade and how the writers of this podcast never imagined where we'd, where we'd be today on some of these issues. But uh, when they delivered that line, I rethought through the question. The question you had uh, sent us, and the two words I kind of came up with were conviction and commitment. And campaigns often help develop the convictions that you're guided by, and winning solidifies the commitment. So the the best way that I could summarize our experience in, in the STID administration, uh, which is the campaign that I've worked on that y'all would be most familiar with, is the commitment by winning that we made was to be a top 10 state. So when, when the trains derail and things are going rough, we have to recommit ourselves to what it is that people told us to do. And how do you make the decisions to get to that commitment? Well, it's the convictions that began to be established by the constituency that were engaged in the campaign process. And the constituency being engaged should refine those convictions for you. Um, and, and those convictions that really um, developed for us were about helping to prioritize our teachers and helping to ensure fiscal stability uh, for the state. As Republicans, we could have gone in this year and gotten a Republican win and repealed taxes. Uh, but due to the constituency that was engaged, they defined our convictions for us. So when the things got hard in budget negotiations and when uh, we kind of went through some bumps in the road that the public saw visibly, we had to go back to the convictions that the people established for us, which was fiscal stability. It wasn't about wins in the tax code, you know, for the party per se. And so that's kind of when, when you ask that question of kind of how do you deal with the hard times? Uh, as an elected official, I think you really have to go back to those convictions that people have given you. What's guiding you to help um, follow through on your commitment. Steve? Yeah, you know, everything we deal with to a degree is difficult. Um, and, and you know that going in. I mean, you, you don't take this job not knowing that. But, you know, there's an end in sight to all these things. And all these issues are fixable, except for the one I referenced a minute ago. So, yeah, I mean, I know that it's something, you know, we've already made progress on the light situation. Yeah. So that's headed in the, in the correct uh, area. And, and I know that we're going to have protected bike, bike lanes throughout the city. And, and when those open, I'm going to be, you know, cheer, cheering on the first riders that go through that. Um, but those aren't the only two issues we face. I mean, it's, you know, for, for every person that, that believes that the lights are the most pressing issue, I can find 20 people that think that it's something else. And they're all right at the city level, you know. And 
the benefit that we have is that we're, we're probably the closest, we say this a lot and it sounds trite to a degree, but we're the closest to the people when it comes to government. And um, so we, you know, we don't listen to the people at our own risk and our own peril. So we're very attentive, very attuned to what people want. And then we, you know, we like to work with interested parties to, to find solutions to these issues. And that's the reward. You know, the reward is that we all get together and we figure something out together and we build it together and it opens and people enjoy it. I mean, and I don't know what could be more rewarding than that. Uh, one last question. This is an easy one, but I didn't write it down. Um, question I try to ask anyone that we interview. Um, why is it important for the public to be engaged? Like, why is it important for everyone to be civically engaged? We'll go this way. So we'll start with Donna. Great. I think, uh, yeah, I think it's very important for people to understand that their elected officials are listening more than they might realize. Um, a big priority in our administration, when I worked in the U.S. Senate, um, for one of Oklahoma's senators, we used a software called Internet Quirum, IQ is the short term. Staff assistance at all levels, no matter if it was mail coming in through the post office, email, or phone calls, were required to log everything that's coming in. Um, and we actually used that data as a way to guide us because it was, you know, uh, in a U.S. Senate office, you're talking about couple thousand engagements a week from your constituency on issues. Uh, we would track zip codes, everything, so that we really understood where things were he heating up across the state, and that had never been done in a governor's office before. Uh, so we took this software that's at the federal level and we're implementing it for the first time in the governor's office um, so that we can truly uh, track what people are saying. And, and I think um, the first time I realized that uh, an average person doesn't know that this has could be going on in their politician's office as I was talking to my sister-in-law who was a big supporter of uh, our past president the last administration and you know she aired her grievances with me for working for Jim and Hoff um, and I told her I said well you, you're in Florida you need to write into your senator and she goes they don't hear me they don't know and I was like actually I know your senator very well and I know he reads the mail and she goes, are you serious? And I said, call, I promise you'll get a response. And she did, and she got a response. Um, and I think it's it's very important to know, at least in this administration, I know with the people up here, that they're really listening. Even if you don't get a response, it's very important for you to put in the phone call, for you to write the letter, even if it's handwritten, um, and for you to put in the email, because I, I believe even at the municipal level here in Oklahoma, it's actually being listened to, uh, especially when you tell a story and you make it very personal, and it's not the form letter that often gets kicked around. So, yeah, I, I would just—I mean, decisions aren't made in a vacuum. I mean, obviously, you hear from voters, you hear from people, um, and I, I would say honestly, what's happened for education over the last two years, at least, with more than $600 million in new money, with a teacher shortage that had long been uh, ignored uh, with, I mean, what has happened in education, I think, is solely about engagement, engagement of teachers, engagement of parents, uh, engagement of community leaders. I mean, I think that is a testament to the power of engagement, and engagement is harder than 
ever now. That's why something like Let's Fix This is so important. Because I, I mean, I'm a former journalist, and just seeing what's happening in journalism and the death of newspapers and the death of the slow demise of journalism is it, it makes engagement tougher and tougher because you have fewer you have fewer watchdogs, you have fewer people reading the paper. I, I mean, people just kind of read or watch whatever already fits their worldview. Um, but I would just like the, the, the odds are against engagement, which I think makes it more important than ever to engage. Yeah, I think why it's important, I heard Barney Frank say this one time, is he said, government is what we choose to do together. And I, I just think there's a lot of truth in that statement. And uh, it is what we do together, right? I mean, we vote people in, but that's only the first step. I mean, we still engage with them. We still contact them. Uh, our office is relatively small, but if you follow Mayor Holt on Twitter, you know that if you ask him a question on Twitter, he's going to respond on Twitter, and usually pretty quickly. Um, J.D. Baker walked in. He's our newest staff member up there. He's a, a rock star. Um, you can hit him on Twitter. You can hit me on Twitter. You can call us. You can walk into our office and, and throw water in our face. Um, whatever. No, not, not, JD, not J.D.'s office. So, so yeah, it's, it's, what we, it's what we do together. I mean, we get together and we decide, you know, it's, and we take our tax dollars and the MAPS projects are an example of that. And we say, you know, we, we, get, we want to build these things. And so then we vote on it and we build those things. Um, so, yeah, it's important to be engaged and, and it's important to vote. And I know David Glover over here would tell everyone that it's important to vote. And if you don't vote, he will publicly shame you. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's, that, I guess that's my long-winded yeah. rambling answer. That was great. Phil almost said the line uh, that I will say to you now that's from the West Wing. Uh, decisions are made by those who show up. Right? We know that at the ballot box. That's easy. You show up, you vote, you help make the decision. But as I said, that's where it starts, where it should start. Um, I, so you, Steve mentioned Twitter. I never met Steve or Donnell uh, until they showed up tonight, but we follow each other on Twitter. Um, and so that's, and that's how I know some of you. Scott and I didn't know until this. Uh, I had never, never met until uh, a couple of years ago through social media. Um, it's a part of our world that we can't escape. And if you're normal and cool about it, not weird, like you can make friends and maybe <laughs> change the world. Um, and so I, I, am, I implore you to the degree that you can, um, step out of your comfort zone a little bit, uh, take a chance on another Oklahoman, another human, um, perhaps even someone that's an elected official at whatever level, right? Um, uh, if you guys know Bo Broadwater at the Journal Record, He's a city council member for War Acres. I said, what's that like? He said, well, a lot of garbage mostly. Like, <laughs> meaning like people care about their garbage being picked up. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's, I haven't had a problem, but suddenly you're involved in government, right? You drive on roads, you hit a pothole, you're in, you tweet at Steve. Like you're in, don't tweet at Steve about that. But you're <laughs> I should tweet at Steve now. I complain about bike lanes all the time. So I'm so glad um, to There's a big thing on, yeah. on Sunday, big yeah. bike lane thing. Um, and so, but you can be really involved. So at the, at the state level, I've heard time and time again from our state legislators that, like that if they hear from seven people, just seven constituents about an issue, it's a big deal. Yeah. Don mentioned getting a few thousand a week. A U.S. Senator represents like the entire state, right? Four and, million. Yeah, four million people. And they get a couple of thousand a week. Come on. Like, that means if you say anything, your voice is amplified, right? Like your vote, Oklahoma has a really low voter turnout. 
So by God, vote because your vote counts more. Like it carries more. Opposite effect. Never say that. <laughs> <laughs> when people think that we have low voter turnout, it actually has a backfire effect. You want to tell people we expect a big turnout because no one wants to go to a party that no one's going for. Uh, fair yeah. enough. All right, David Glover will tell you. You can go to, you can go to badvoter.org and see who voted or not. Also, if you're not registered, I have registration forms downstairs. I will mail it for you. No problem. I'll drop it off. Because uh, no one has stamps anymore. I got a whole roll of stamps. I'll mail them. I mailed two this week. All right. Um, let's give our panelists a big hand again. Thank you all for being here. We will do another West Wing watch party on August 28th. We're doing one a quarter this year. Our next one's on August 28th. We're going to watch the episode The Supremes, which is about the Supreme Court. Um, Oklahoma Solicitor General... Uh, Monsinghani. Monsinghani. Today's his birthday. Uh, he's not here because it's his birthday. It's why we didn't do that one today. Uh, but he will be here. Um, I'm going to try to get one of our Oklahoma State Supreme Court justices to come as well um, to talk about what that looks like on the state level um, and how that's different. Um, We've got two vacancies right now. We do it's have two vacancies. It is a big deal. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, uh, and then, so we'll do that August 28th. It's on our website. Uh, you can find it there. We'll do another one. The week before Thanksgiving, not political, uh, we're going to watch a Thanksgiving Day episode, The Indians in the Lobby, and we're going to have several chefs here to give you tips on how to cook a great Thanksgiving dinner. So uh, we feel like that's a public service. We need to call the butterball. That's right. We, that's exactly right. Uh, so thank you all for coming. Have a lovely night. <laughs>